G'day friends, welcome back. I hope you like Speckies, because round 19 had three of the best that we've seen all year. We have been spoiled this year for marks. There haven't been a lot of super spectacular goals, but marks, oh, they've been good. All right, round 19 was a cracker, so let's get into it. <laughs> week, and they've got the win against um, against Collingwood this week. 
So they're, they're, win- they're beating the teams that are put in front of them. It'll be interesting to see how they go the next time they come up against another top eight side because we know that's where they've struggled. Um, but yeah, they're, they're doing all right. Port Adelaide, they... I think something that they will and should stick with is the two rucks. That seems to just... I don't know, it seemed to just be what really worked well for them. Having Laddams and Lysette in there, plus Dixon and Georgiades and Marshall, all these tools, like it, it's very much the West Coast model, but it seems to be, I don't know, it just seems to work for them. It's, it's, you know, if all those players are available, and as long as they're not playing against a team whose back line, or whose, yeah, whose back line is going to be able to counter that, I, I think I would stick with that. That all that height, that their fast ball movement. If they can get all those tall guys one on one, or even you know, being able to get a run and jump at the ball, like I think that that way that method will work for them. And I think Lysette, he's not an elite ruckman, but he's a very good ruckman, and they're able to use him a lot better when he's got Laddams there to back him up. And Laddams is the next number one ruckman at that club. Lysette, probably still number one next year, but moving forward, Laddams will probably gradually replace him. So keep getting games into Laddams, otherwise he may go to a, you know, another club. He will get interest for sure. Um, Travis Boke, it was his 300th game. He was superb. Yet again, he was probably the second best player on the ground. Um, he's had an amazing career. I said last week after they played St Kilda, he, for someone who's played for as long as he has and has got so many miles in him, he's still got so much polish and so much pace. It is extremely impressive what a professional elite athlete he is. Very, very impressive footballer. Um, Wines is... Another one of their players who, having gone to another level this year, especially how he's played the last two, like he won them that game against St Kilda. His performance was what got them over the line. Um, if he can maintain this, that they are seriously, seriously deadly come September. That they're finding form at the right time. I don't know what their run home looks like, but if they. I imagine they will come up against another top eight team at some point before finals. If they can win that game against whoever it's against, enormous confidence booster. You know, with with Butters, Rosie, Dersma coming back into the side, this Port team can do anything. People seem to have written them off, but I would say they are as dangerous as Sydney if we're talking sort of outside smoky premiership chances. Um, and they've also got, the, you know, they've got Wines and Boke, who are their top-tier midfielders, because they've got this second tier now of your Willem Drews and your Carl Amons, Dan Houston sort of playing a couple of different roles. But th- this next year of players, like, how good was that goal that Carl Amon kicked when he, like, sold the candy around two players and then kicked the goal? Like, he, he's playing really, really well. Um, so, yeah, Porter just... It is coming good, right at the right time, is all I'll say about that. Alright, next game we had Carlton and the Kangaroos. 
Carlton are so fucked. They are as much of a mess as any club in the competition. I'll talk about the Kangaroos first, and then I'll get to them. So I'm convinced now that there's no way the Kangaroos are going to finish last. I think that Hawthorne probably don't win another game for the rest of the year, and Kangaroos probably win one more. They got, they got, I think three tough games out of their last four, and then there's one that win. That there's one that is winnable. I forget who it's against, but there is one that's winnable. So, yeah, the Ruse. It, it's been honestly amazing the way they've turned their season around. That the, after the bye, what have they won now? Four games, four and a half games. They're on fourteen points. Um, it's it's been. Oh no, that's three and a half wins. Sorry. Um, yeah, they must be on eighteen points then. I don't know. They've they've done really really bloody well. That you can see all these young players. Like you know, obviously Larky kicked his seven, right? So you got a player like him, very much a barometer when he's the key forward down there by himself. And he's playing like that, very much a barometer for the rest of the team. And look what happens as their ball movement increases in speed and in quality. Their big man down forward gets seven goals. So you can see immediately how that how how improving everything up the ground equates to enormous success for their forwards, right? And you know you had. Taron Thomas kicking four goals as well, playing out of the midfield and racking up the disposals. I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, that they've got a lot of young superstars. They've got Simpkin and LDU, Zerha, they've picked up Phillips. I think Taron Thomas is seriously, seriously underrated. There is something about the way that he plays that I'm absolutely transfixed by. He's, he's another one of the... He's, he's reminding me a lot of Hunter Clark. He isn't super fast, but there's something about the way he moves. Everything seems to slow down around him, very much like a Pendlebury. A lot of people compare Clark to Pendlebury. I get those vibes from Taron Thomas. And, and he's kicked four goals playing through the middle. Like, he could very well be their best player in a couple of years' time. Simpkins going to be a superstar. That the other guys I named are going to be superstars. Taron Thomas, if he can, if they can hang on to him, don't under. I'm sure internally they don't underrate him. But if they can hang on to him, and he's that, he's that, he's that bigger-bodied midfielder as well. Gee, he could be a player. He could be a serious, serious player. And he won them that game. I think it was the Hawthorne game, their first win down in Tassie for the year. That was that was him. He kicked the winning goal. Like he's got this. X factor that I can't put my finger on, but yeah, there's something really, really nice about the way he operates. Um, yeah, they they just really they're great to watch now because they're, they're just they're having fun. Like the worst that happens to them now is they finish bottom, right? If they do still finish last, they have not been the worst team this year, not by a long way. Second half of their year has been as good as some of the sides that are going around through the middle. They should be ecstatic 
without if I'm a North fan, I am so excited for what is to come in the next few years. If they can go to the draft, maybe pick up another key forward to support Larky, either through drafting or through trading, maybe draft another elite midfielder to sort of develop alongside Phillips, because Cunnington is getting to the sort of, you know, he's not at retirement age just yet, but he's probably only got two or three years left in him. Um, and they probably need to look at a key defender as well with Tarrant also getting to the end of his career. But, you know, they've got, you know, they've got their own Mackay who's going really well. Like, they're, they're looking really good. And the way that they have absolutely demolished Carlton... Like, Carlton have been going okay the last month. They won three of their last four. But the way that they lost this game... Like, so, Harry Mackay is is ruled out of the game, I think it was a few hours before the game, right? So they, they had a little bit of time to sort of readjust how they were going to go about things, right? When your big key forward, your solo big key forward, who you rely on a lot is out of the game, right? You And, you know, they don't have Casbolt or Kerno or McGovern or any of their other big forwards, right? Their biggest forward is going to be Jack Silvani, and he's only 190-something centimetres, not a super big boy. You're not going to be able to score very heavily. You're just not, right? You're talking, you know, between 10 and 14 goals at most, when you've got a forward set up like that, right? What they needed to do, when you're in a situation like that, you can still win the game, especially when you're playing a young side like North Melbourne. Yeah, North have been going well, but they're still a young side, right? And the Blues aren't a young side anymore. Like, you look at their their best team, it, there's a lot of middle-aged players in there, right? Wiedering's not a kid anymore, you know, even Walsh, he's not a kid anymore, right? He's, he's going to be the best player in the competition in 12 months' time. So, yeah, Walsh is not a kid anymore, you know. You know, they, they got the they got these very young players at North Melbourne. If you're not going to be able to score, you need to defend like your life depends on it, right? You need to tackle, you need to harass, you need to chase, Right? If you can apply enough pressure and stop the opposition from scoring, right, you'll go a long way to winning, even if you can't score very much yourself. Right? I have never seen a team fail so dismally at, you know, very basic defence. Like there has been some damning footage in the last couple of days that's gone around. Like it was horrendous some of the stuff they were doing. And some of it, like like with any review, some of it's going to fall on the players. A lot of it is going to fall on David Teague. I feel bad for David Teague because he seems like a really good guy. But he's had two years now, more than two years, to cultivate a, you know, a, a par, right? Something, you know, a benchmark that you can expect from Carlton every week, right? Something that they can build, you know, a franchise around. You know, they're already a franchise, but what I mean by that is what's their brand, right? You know, you might be, like, think of the Richmond 
you know, the, the Richmond brand of the last five years. It's that frantic, move the ball, crazy mayhem, pressure, small forwards, you know, like all that stuff, right? Or, you know, you're a West Coast who's a kick, mark, control, key forwards, clunk, goal, that sort of, you know. Carlton, they could have been anything they wanted to, right? They got a very good list. They've got one of the best key defenders in the game and one of the best key forwards in the, in the game, in the game as your bookends. Solid midfield. Sam Walsh becoming a great player. Cripps carrying lots of injuries, but still very good player. A lot of experience in there. Kerno, Nunes, like these players, they could have molded themselves into anything they wanted. And they've just they're just nothing. They are nothing at the moment. And like just because they lose Mackay doesn't mean they suddenly lose the game. Yes, he's very important. But you know maybe he would have kicked let's just say he kicks two or three goals. They lost by forty something points. He wasn't gonna be the difference. Right? They needed to defend like their season was on the line, which it was. Even though they're a game behind all these other teams that are fighting for eight, people were still saying, oh, Carlton are a chance. They, they weren't, but maybe internally they thought they were. And then they put up a performance like that. It's absolutely mind-blowing that that is the effort they can put out when they still consider themselves a mathematical chance of playing finals. It, it, like, and I listened to SEN a little bit this morning and heard some of the Carlton fans, oh, they're not happy. Oh, they're not happy. They are after blood, and I think they're going to get it now. Like, this review, it's hard to say. I think the review will probably end with Teague getting the sack. If not, it'll be a lot of the assistant coaches, and I think it'll buy Teague half a season. If there is not noticeable, tangible improvement, he's gone by the by next year. Um, but yeah, I think it is more likely that he's gone at the end of this season, to tell you the truth. Like, I feel I'm a bit iffy when new coaches only get a couple of years or a year and a half, you know, to to have a crack. Like, they didn't give... How long did Brendan Bolton have? I feel like he only had three years. Maybe he had four I feel like three years at least is how long a coach needs to figure out where they're at. Now, Carlton are a little bit different. Carlton fans have had zero success. Not, not even like there's been lots of teams who haven't had premierships in the last twenty years, but Carlton have hardly even touched the top eight. They've played finals a handful of times and won finals even more seldom than that. They have floundered around the bottom of the ladder. Lots of number one draft picks. Like, that, they have struggled hard. And their fans, especially the fans who saw the really successful eras, like, the last, they were a juggernaut in the 90s, right? And now their fans have had to put up with this stuff for so long. Like, even as a Saints fan, obviously starved of a premiership for half a century, right? But there's been really good patches. 2009 and 10, making grand finals, you know, even from 2004 for the next five years, making finals a lot of times, right? Last year, winning a final, you know, there's been patches of successful periods. 
Carlton have really had almost none. So they demand success pretty quickly, the Carlton fans, which is fair enough. And, you know, the fact that there's been, like, look at North Melbourne, right? Inside of a season, you can see how they've turned it around and they've improved enormously. Carlton has not done that at all. You've got Harry Mackay, who's probably going to win the Coleman medal. Awesome. Great improvement. Jacob Wiedering continued to get better and has become one of, if not the best, key defender in the competition. Sam Walsh is probably going to finish top three in the Brownlow. Fantastic. Those three guys does not a football team make. They need everyone else around them to lift. The rest of the players, whether it's the the coaching staff, whether it's the conditioning, I don't know what's going on, but they've got really serious issues when the performance we saw on the weekend is more normal than not. Anyway, that, that, that's enough, you know, hanging shit on them. I feel bad because, you know, they are, Carlton fans have had a pretty rough. Cripps is all right. You know, if he hadn't kicked his three goals, it would have been a lot, lot worse. He actually, that was one of his best games for the year, hitting the scoreboard like that. That's great. Um, and Tom DeConing's mark, it was the first of the three mega speckies of the week. It was a ripper, especially from a big fella. You don't see the the big two-metre-tall Ruckman taking speckies like that very often. Um, so, yeah, that was great. Yeah, the Crips kicking three goals is good. Silvani being the second Ruckman, I don't know. Like, you would think that Crips being in there and Crips being around the same height as Silvani, he may even be a little bit taller. Like, just have the extra midfielder. Have Crips as the Ruckman and then put three more midfielders around him, right? Just give you more speed. Don't even try and get the hit out. Just try and rove to their Ruckman's Ruck work. Anyway, yeah, they got, they got a lot of issues. Carlton, a lot of issues. All right, next game. Okay, this is Brisbane versus Gold Coast. Holy shit. So, talk about teams that are absolutely fucked. Gold Coast are one of those teams. They were five goals in front at one point. 27 points in front at halftime. Brisbane then proceed to kick I don't even know how many goals in a row to end up winning by 50 points. They had an 80-plus point turnaround. Gold Coast completely disappeared off the face of the earth after halftime. It was... Like, I don't even know where this puts Brisbane. Like, it was a scary performance for Brisbane. But Gold Coast just stopped. So I don't even know how you can measure how impressive it actually was. It was impressive. But when you're playing against witches' hats, you know, everything looks good. It was actually pretty similar to how their game went earlier in the year. Like, Gold Coast didn't get five goals in front earlier in the year, but they were very competitive early. And then Brisbane just piled on a fuckload of goals and the game was over. It's like the Q Clash used to be something that had a little bit of respect about it. They used to be semi-competitive games. Gee whiz, not this year. That, that, that was frightening. Um, 
before I start to hang shit on Gold Coast, yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane needed this win. You know, they've lost. They lost to St Kilda and then they lost to Richmond. Um, I feel like there is another game in there. I've forgotten. Anyway, yeah, they had a little bit of a rough patch there. They fell out of the top four, and they're still not back in there. But a big win like that will give them a nice percentage boost, which is good. Um, they, I'm still not completely convinced by them yet, which is a strange thing to say after that victory. But it's it's their forward line that I think. I think, like, Danaher did kick a couple of really nice goals, those clever little ones in the goal square. They were very nice. He's been good at that his whole career, being creative and, you know, being very athletic. But I need more from him. Like, I need him to stand up and be the man in a game before I'm convinced that they're going to be able to do real damage in September. Because without, like, neither him or... Hipwood are, uh, you know, the big, you know, kick the ball to me, I'll handle it, sort of, you know, confident, trustworthy forwards. But together, that they move around that forward line really, really well, the two of them. The question will be, can Danaher manage it by himself? He is in there with a lot of other players, a lot of other experienced players as well. But... Can he stand up and kick five against a top eight team? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It, it'll like they're gonna they're gonna be playing in September. It'll be fascinating to see how they go. Do they manage to get back into the top four? Get that double chance? Do they drop down to fifth or sixth and drop out in straight sets? Who knows? It'll be very interesting to see how they go. Um, good to see the big O bounce back. He had a really ordinary game against Richmond and he was back playing very, very well in the ruck for them. It helps that he wasn't going up against any kind of serious recognised ruckman. It's been another area that Gold Coast have struggled with this year. Um, but it'll be good for his confidence at least. And, and I want to talk about one of those small forwards who doesn't get talked about enough. His name's Lincoln McCarthy. Um, the, the, to me, there is not a standout contender for a small forward spot in the All-Australian side this year. Last year, there was a couple in, in contention. Ryan ended up with it. Could have been easily Butler's or Papley's. Papley has had a very good year, but probably not as good as last year. Um, Ryan is now going to miss probably the rest of the home and away season with a hamstring, so... I don't know, like, I really, and like, even Charlie Cameron hasn't been super consistent all year. Lincoln McCarthy is an amazing player. From where he went, how his career was going at Brisbane, at Geelong, sorry, to how it's now going in Brisbane, he's amazing. Obviously, like, McCarthy has all the prowess of a small forward, sneaky goals, quick you know, applies pressure, but it's his aerial prowess as well that gives him another dimension as a player. I think he's really, really underrated. And that goal that he kicked, where the ball spilled out the back, there was the two Gold Coast players chasing it down, and he ran them down and kicked the goal off the ground from in front of them. That was so impressive to watch. I, th I think he needs a little bit of praise, Lincoln McCarthy, because he's, he's playing really, really good football. 
Um, Gold Coast. Gold Coast shouldn't be doing this anymore. They shouldn't be doing this anymore. Getting absolutely trounced like this. If if, if they're five goals in front at halftime against a good team, if you go in and lose Gold Coast, that's fine. It's okay. It happens. But to get absolutely minced and lose by 50 points, an 80-point turnaround, to completely go home at halftime. They shouldn't be doing that anymore. Even without a Ruckman, they've built a really solid team up there. Like, you've got all these young players who are going to be amazing. That They've built some really solid, you know, forwards and backs to control each end of the ground. Every time I think that Stuart G's going in the right direction, they put up another performance like this. It's not good. And, you know, there was a, like, Carlton's going to be who gets talked about the most this week because they're Carlton and there's a, you know, there's a lot of intrigue. But Gold Coast need to be looked at. What is going on that these losses keep happening to them over and over again? I don't know. But they should be playing better than this. They've been bringing in these good recruits. Greenwood, Atkins can't get a game. Like, I don't know what's going on. Raul, since he came back from his injury this year, he's sort of plateaued. He hasn't, you know. He got nine Brownlow votes from three perfect games last year. And, you know, he got injured in his first game this year. Now he's come back a couple of months ago. And he just hasn't really done anything. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to, you know, it makes sense he's coming back from a serious long-term injury, but I thought he'd have a little bit more impact than what he's been having. He hasn't been anywhere near the level that he was when he debuted. Anyway, we'll see how he goes. If he can get a full pre-season in, if he can get through next year unscathed by long-term injury, then he may become a very, very special player. But at the moment, I'm sort of just waiting for him for the row that we know to come back. All right, the next game was West Coast versus St Kilda. Obviously disappointed with the result, an eight-point loss to the Saints. Um, but I was still really, really happy with how St Kilda played. Gotta say, like there was the one patch in the second quarter where Tim Kelly absolutely ripped us to shreds. It was amazing what he did to us in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes that second quarter where West Coast piled on four or five goals in a row. And that was pretty much the game. We, we had to spend the entire second half fighting our way back to even getting close, and we just couldn't quite get there in the end. Um, of course, it's against us that Tim Kelly plays probably his best game since he's gone to West Coast. Um, he's a very, very good player, Tim Kelly. But yeah, it was just that... That one patch, and like there were there were a few patches in the first half where we were doing that same shit that we were doing last week, the over handballing, and it, it, it works sometimes, and when it does work, you think, gee, that was great, that was really well done, but it doesn't work often enough for me to be happy with it as a tactic. So often, the, pl- the player will be running with the ball, maybe it's up the wing, 
and they'll get to a point where you need to be kicking it, right? You've run your 10, 20 metres, maybe you've had a bounce. It's time to kick the ball and take more ground. But then they'll look up and go, oh, there's nothing there that I like. I'm going to stop moving. And I'm going to look around for handball options within a 10 to 15 metre radius. And that and that's now going to be the move that I make. And it, and it just, it completely chokes our ball movement and it kills their confidence when it inevitably ends in a turnover. And when we were turning it over in the first half, West Coast are so deadly by foot. They, they killed us. It was actually quite impressive how well they used the ball by foot. The kick, mark, hitting targets, hitting targets with perfection, especially their last kick inside 50. That last kick inside 50 is something that has haunted Saints fans for the last four or five years. It's, it's so at times been as painful as our kicking for goal. Um, but yeah, gee, West Coast just, especially at Optus, you cannot turn the ball over and very often. You can turn it over a little bit and maybe be okay, but gee whiz, St Kilda did it way too many times in the first half just by inviting pressure that didn't need to be there, right? When you take the ball... You don't have the luxury of window shopping for all these different options. You look up the line, oh, I don't like that, there's too many one-on-ones, I'd rather just pass it to a teammate who's two metres away and free. Like, I think something in the off-season that we really need to work on is decision-making. Right? Sometimes that little close hand pass is the good move. Maybe the player you're passing it to is Jones or Hill, and they're going to be able to run to the outside and do a really effective kick inside 50. Who knows? But when it's a one-metre hand pass to a player who's under as much pressure as you are, just fucking kick the thing. I'd rather it get turned over 30 metres closer to our goal than where it is. I think every single player would prefer that as well. It has been mighty frustrating to watch at some points this season. Um, West Coast's tall forwards, I, I'm in envy of the setup that they've got, having Kennedy, Darling, and Allen down there, and having them all work together so well is such a luxury. And Allen didn't even do anything on the weekend. He was very quiet. But Darling and Kennedy stood up and it, it made obvious something that I have thought about St Kilda for, you know, some of this year. We need another big defender. Like that's why they brought in James Frawley and they elected, even though he's fit now, they elected not to select him for this game, which I thought was interesting. They went with Oscar Claverino, obviously trying to play a bit of youth, which is fine. And I thought he was okay. Um, he's just a little bit, you know, he's a little bit fresh still to be playing on the guys like that. And even at 195 centimetres, he's a little undersized as well. Like, I, I think St Kilda needs to acquire, unless they really, really trust what Claverino is going to become, they need to get themselves another 
200 centimeter key defender. Um, they don't necessarily have to be slotting into our best side, but they need to be there when we are coming up against a team like a West Coast who plays three key forwards or a Port Adelaide who plays three key forwards. Two weeks in a row, we got shown up by teams. Like, Wilkie is a very good player, and he's about 194 centimetres, so he's a big boy, but he is, like, Georgiades last week kicked four goals on him because he's just too big. Like, Wilkie has had to play out of his weight division a lot this year because Carlisle's been injured and Frawley's been injured. And Wilkie has done really well sometimes. Like, he did a great job on Jack Rewalt a month or so ago. Um, he did a really good job on Taylor Walker when we played Adelaide, who's very much out of his weight division. So he's done some good jobs. But asking him to do that week in, week out is a bit much. And Dougal Howard having to take the behemoth in the opposition's forward line week in, week out is a lot to ask as well. If there was a, you know, a younger key defender who I'm not, I'm not necessarily necessarily. Oh gosh, I'm not necessarily saying draft one. Um, I'd rather bring one in by trade. Look at like you know, this would be a pretty tough kick because he was a high draft pick, but something like a Fisher Mackesy, who isn't quite in your best team yet, but will be ready to be in the future, you know, maybe, maybe you adjust your game plan a bit to allow to have, you know, a taller back line. I don't know. But, yeah, we just we just need a little bit more height in it because, like, Dougal is getting, you can see him getting tired. He gets very frustrated. You know, he, he he's a good leader and he's a very vocal leader, which we don't have a lot of. But, yeah, you can just see the frustration growing in him when he's, you know, getting bags kicked on him because he just doesn't have the support down there that he needs in the air. But, you know, some of the goals that West Coast kicked were just from perfect kicks inside 50 that you can't defend, which is okay. Um, but, yeah, I just feel we just need a little something more because Carlisle surely retires with all these back issues he's got. I think Frawley is finished being an AFL level quality player. He played the two games. He was okay. He's had mostly injuries this year. He might get back in the team before the end of the season, but I think his body is just past it, which is unfortunate, but that's how it is. Um, now, let's talk about Max King. Best game of his career. He was the best player on the ground. Thank fuck for this. Saints fans have been waiting and waiting for King to arrive, and boy has he arrived. Six goals, eight contested marks. The record for contested marks is only ten in a game. So that, that gives you an indication of the level of you know performance that we were witness to on Saturday. He was amazing. West Coast paid him zero respect. The kid playing on him was playing his second game and he allowed Max to do whatever he wanted. Clearly, right? 
they did McGovern I, I hardly saw McGovern at all to tell you the truth throughout the game, but McGovern was nowhere near Max King. He was playing very much that intercept role, he's doing a bit of work on memory. Um but yeah, Mac, Max kept us in that game. If Max hadn't played the way he had, even if he had been taking the marks, but he hadn't kicked straight, like he kicked six goals one. Imagine he kicks five goals. No, no, sorry. Imagine he kicks two goals five or three goals four. You know, that very, very easily could have happened. But no, he's, he's fixed up his goal kicking, it seems like. And it, it was a joy to watch. And Saints fans will be giddy with excitement that that is the future we have to look forward to. Um, just on memory, that just reminded me, this is the second week in a row that memory has been kept very quiet. Tom Jonas did a job on him last week, and it seemed like sort of a team effort this week by West Coast to keep him quiet. I think he has been identified as probably our most important player forward of the ball. Um, Because, you know, we lost by eight points. Memory kicked the one goal, he kicked a goal late in the game, but... He usually takes around sort of eight to ten marks a game. He took three marks on Saturday, and it was similar the week before. Just not allowed. To, a lot of times, he's that centre half forward player. He's the connection between the midfield and the forward line. He was not allowed to be that at all this week or the week before. So Membry needs to learn how to shake that attention when he gets it. Otherwise, it's going to continue to be an issue heading into next year. Um, it was good to see Butler back in really good form. He's been getting a lot of criticism from the Saints fans on you know social media. So th- this was his best game for the year by a long way. It was actually it was one of the best games he's played as a Saint. Twenty disposals and two goals. His inside fifty pressure has not dropped off at all. That has been constant. Um, and it was good to see him doing that even more. One of the goals he got came directly from a turnover of a you know, a kick in from a behind. The West Coast player completely butchered it, and Butler just closed him in and turned the ball over and kicked the goal. It was pretty nice to watch. But yeah, he's playing really well. Jones played his best game since returning from injury. He's probably our second or third best player after King and Butler. Um, Really, really good outside work. Uh, so, yeah, that was nice to see. Um, it's been the case for a couple of weeks now, but we're not going to be making finals. We're just, our percentage is too bad, and we've got too difficult a run home. But it's okay. I think a lot of Saints fans are coming to terms with it now. I'll do a season review once the year is done for St Kilda, but I've I've just been thinking about how I feel about this year. Do I, you know, do I largely criticise because of some of the results or do they need to be put in perspective and, you know, do we need to consider the amount of injuries that we have had to key players? A lot of clubs have had injuries, but... Like St Kilda, I, I feel comfortable saying that St Kilda has had it the worst of all of the clubs because it's it seems to me like we've only had a couple of weeks where we've not had a new injury 
And the number of injuries that we've had that have been long-term, like Patton going out pre-season for the entire year, Gresham goes out in round three, Carlisle a few weeks after that, like just really key players in like the number of games that have been missed by Marshall, Ryder, obviously not through injury, but Ryder missing the early part of the year. Like it's been really, really rough on the selection front. Like I I did some maths and of the players who I consider to be in our best 22 or our best 23, if you can't a medical sub, they have missed 115 games combined. So, like, that's the total number of games missed this season through injury. So, you know, Marshall's only played the, the nine games. So, you know, he's missed nine. Like, you've got Gresham, who only played the three, so he's missed 15. Patton's missed all of them, so he's missed 18, right? Like, lots of players miss, like, Geary, he's only played the three games. And, like, I didn't even count Carlisle, who's only played the three or four games, missed a lot of footy. Or Frawley, missed a lot of footy. You know, and now we've got Battle, who's done for the year. Wood and Higgins both go down with back injuries, which no one seems to know what the hell's going on. Clark breaks his jaw out for the rest of the season. Coffield does a hamstring. He's been forced to come back a week early. Well, not necessarily a week early, but he only missed the three weeks. Normally you miss four. Um, just every single week it's another. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. So hopefully, like the law of averages would suggest that next year's St Kilda come back and have a very lucky time. <laughs> you would think... God, um, yeah, I'll talk about the off season more in the in the end of year review. But th- there's lots of stuff. I have lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts of what we need to look to bring into the club, what we need to offload. Um, but yeah, I'll wait till the end of the year to really get into that. All right, next game. Where are we going? I've actually got a little notepad today. You might be able to hear me flicking through it. All right, next game was the top of the table clash, Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. Um, I think Luke Beveridge might be the best coach in the competition right now. Longmire is right up there. Fagan's right up there. Um, But gee whiz, how well... This Jamara Yugal Hagen thing seems to have gone. I applaud Bevo's patience. I really do. I applaud Jamara's patience as well. He's had to wait a long time to make his debut. It is going very, very well. The fact that it is working with him and Norton and Bruce all in that forward line. Bravo. Bravo indeed. Um, it, it makes what their best lineup looks like very interesting are all three of them and English and Martin all going to fit in come finals I don't know um you know moving on to next year what's their forward line going to look like obviously Cody Waitman has worked his way in and now he's in the best team um is there going to be space for Mitch Wallace he's beginning interest already from other clubs um you know does Stefan Martin have another year in him when he does retire, you think he'd be able to fit 
the three big boys up forward, but they're also going to be picking up um, Sean Darcy's son, whose name, whose first name I've forgotten, but he's going to be a father-son selection, and he's going to be a very early father-son selection. He's a ruckman, um, so at what stage is he going to be working his way into the best team? Is Burrow going to make him wait as well? Don't know. Um, but yeah, they're, they're tall department is going to be fascinating to watch in the next sort of 12 to 24 months and the decision to bring in Josh Shackey everyone's like gee whiz they're going really tall up forward and then Shackey plays in defense and of course they bring in a second tall defender to help Alex Keith and Alex Keith gets injured how lucky is that for Josh Shackey because now he's going to get to hold down that key defensive position while Keith is out, maybe they've solved their their tall defender issue. It's been a department of theirs that is has been weak throughout the year. Like Keith, similar to Howard, has had to carry a lot of the you know the heavy lifting in terms of key defense. If Shaki suddenly works out, far like Beto is such a clever coach. He's really really impressed me. This week especially. Oh. Yeah, anyway. How good's that Bon Temple? <laughs> that that player, that very unknown player, Marcus Bontempili. <laughs> like the the Bont like I have always thought that you know, throughout the year I've said and I've thought Oh, I don't know if Bontempelli can, can win the Brownlow. He's got McRae in there taking votes off him. He's got Libertore, Trelaw, Smith, all these really good midfielders. Dunkley, you know, is he going to be able to win it? I think every time that he has polled, it's probably going to be three votes. He could very well set a Brownlow vote-getting record this year. He got another three votes on the weekend for sure. He is the most amazing footballer in the competition right now. He's, he's one of those prototype midfielders, very tall, very athletic, very powerful, lanky yet somehow fast. And I love when Melbourne started to fight their way back in the last quarter, he was the one who's like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to kick a goal here and put this game to bed. Very captainy thing to do and very superstar-y thing to do. It was extremely impressive the way he played. He hits the scoreboard unlike any other midfielder in the comp. I haven't checked, but I would imagine Petrarca would be up there as well. Excuse me, but of the midfielders, he has got to be right up there in goals kicked. He is fucking unreal. And there was a little period there where I thought that Steele might be able to win the Brownlow, because he had a few really good weeks in a row, um, but God, Bontembele is just an absolute freak of a player, and there's no other way to describe it. Um, another thing of which there is no other way to describe is Melbourne's scoring issues. They have really serious scoring issues. They've now lost, what, four of their last six games? Is that right? Or five of their last six? I know, they've they've only won one of their last six because they had that draw. I think that's right. 
um, they have dropped off dramatically. And, you know, it's, it's their players who were doing really well early in the season who now aren't up forward, you know. Tom McDonald, Keziah Pickett, even Luke Jackson's not hitting the scoreboard. They have got real worries that they need to fix before finals. Now, you know, if they don't fix it, they can probably get through a qualifying final unscathed because normally how finals work, especially the ones early on, is they're usually not very high scoring. So, you know, you might be able to sneak out a win kicking, you know, 12 goals to 10 or even 10 goals to 8, something like that. But come prelim final, come grand final, the scoring is going to up crease. (laughs) And they are going to need to be able to match the Bulldogs and Geelong and Brisbane and Port Adelaide in their ability to score very heavily. And at the moment, I cannot see that happening at all because it just doesn't seem to be working for them at all unless Ben Brown is going to bob up and kick six or McDonald is going to bob up and kick six or they bring Sam Wiedemann back in and that somehow works. I don't know, but yeah, it is a very, very big problem. And the problem is they can't over-address it. They, they spend the next fortnight focusing too heavily on this and then other aspects will start to fall away. That they got to continue to treat every part of the ground with equal importance, all the while focusing on this very, very serious issue of not being able to score. It's, it's a big problem. Um, yeah, if, if they can't fix it, they might be able to win the one final, but what's more likely, I think, is that they'll be out in straight sets. It is a, it, of all the teams in the competition who need to fix a singular thing right now, this is the biggest thing for me. Melbourne have been on top of the ladder all year. They've been the best team for a lot of the year. They cannot allow their season to suddenly fall in a heap because all of a sudden they can't score. They've got to fix it. You know, Goodwin and Uze and Williams, you know, these this coaching panel that has been lauded by how they've lifted Melbourne up to the top of the ladder this year. They've got to figure something out. Otherwise, this will be the lost year for Melbourne. And Melbourne fans, they're like Carlton fans. They've had to wait a fucking long time. They've had to wait even longer than St Kilda has since their last premiership, right? They are not going to allow this year to go wasted. You've got to fix it, Melbourne. got to fix it. All right. Moving on now to, I believe, the Sunday games. I know there's one other game on Saturday, Hawthorne versus Adelaide. Before I talk about the game, I'm just going to say one more thing about this Clarkson-Mitchell handover, Caroline Wilson, yucky nonsense. I hope now that all the you know speculation is done with, because now Sam Mitchell and Alistair Clarkson have both come out during the week last week and categorically categorically denied that there is any issues between them. They've 
both said that Clarkson is going to finish out his contract, go to the end of next year, and then Mitchell will take over. It'll all be very amicable, right? For some reason, everyone was of the opinion, or a lot of people in the media was of the opinion that Clarkson was going to be gone by the end of this year, that Sam Mitchell was under, you know, on some kind of vendetta to push out the greatest coach, maybe of all time. What kind of an idiot would Sam Mitchell have to be to want to usurp Clarkson and have to jump straight into coaching without him there to help? Who wouldn't want to be working under Clarko to be his protege? Imagine the shit that you could learn from him as a budding coach. Far out. I'm I'm really sick. Like, Caroline Wilson is a respected journalist, right? She would have sources that are pretty solid. But this is the second time this year she really, although she'll never admit it, she has made an absolute fool of herself, right? She said all that dog shit about Tim Membry and Seb Ross a couple of months ago, which blew up in her face, and now... She, she was certain, oh, Sam Mitchell's trying to get Clarkson out. Oh, you know, they're not going to get along. The players are unhappy, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And whether someone said that to her or not, she didn't, she obviously got that information. She's not going to go on TV and say something that, you know, she hasn't done a bit of research on. But she never at any point went to Mitchell for comment or went to Clarkson for comment or went to the football club for comment. She's just taken some random person. Maybe that person's important. Maybe they're not. Maybe someone delivered coffee into a meeting and heard like a couple of words and was like, oh, I'm going to go tell Car- Caroline Wilson that, you know, Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell are each other's throats. And she's going to pay me a lot of money. Like, it's getting really irritating and it's really disrespectful, this stuff that Caro is just coming up with seemingly to, you know, get on the front page or, you know, make a great YouTube video for Channel 9 to put up. Like, seriously, it, it's ridiculous. And, like, you know, there was there was plenty of others who thought, oh, you know, there's no way that Clarko stays. He's been disrespected. What throughout Clarko's career, what in his life has he done to make you think that he's that he wouldn't honour a contract, that he wouldn't honour a pre-made agreement with a club that he's spent what seventeen years at? Seriously, it blows my mind the way some people's brains work. Anyway, anyway. The game. It was one of it was probably the best game of the round. Actually, it was a really really good game by two you know young teams, two teams down the bottom end of the ladder. Um, I think now Hawthorne are going to finish bottom now. I just have that feeling they don't look quite like they're going to be able to win a game. They had the draw against Melbourne, which was more. Melbourne not playing as well as they should have. Hawthorne were very good, but Melbourne should have beat them. 
but uh, I just can't see them winning. Like, I think they've got a game against Collingwood, which is in, in round 22 or 21 or something, um, which is winnable, but just on their current form, I can't see them finishing bottom. Like, I can't see them not finishing bottom, sorry. Um, but, I mean, who wouldn't want to... If you're a team who's in that sort of bottom two, bottom three... Who wouldn't want to finish last? Go and get that number one draft pick. Great way to, you know... Who was Hawthorne's last number one draft pick? It was Luke Hodge. Look how well he went. If I'm Hawthorne, I'd be pretty content finishing bottom. I'm not saying you should tank. I would never, ever, 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 ever say that. But wouldn't be the worst thing ever if they were to finish bottom. Um... I was listening to this game a little bit and I just heard one piece of commentary that I thought was really funny. I forget who it was. I feel like it was... Oh, was it... It might have been Sarah Jones. It was one of the ladies or Kelly Underwood. I can't remember who it was, but they referred to Sean Burgoyne as a super veteran, which I thought was hilarious. I, th- I thought that's such a... Like, it's a very appropriate term. I've just never heard it before. It just made me chuckle. Um, yeah, Hawthorne... Like, the, the stuff... they got to decide what they want the rest of this year to look like. There's still four games left to go. And everyone saw the way that Chad Wingard was behaving during the game. Um, he wasn't playing that well. And then he had the the shouting. I forget which other player he was yelling at. One of his one of his teammates at halftime. It, it it went on for far far too long, and it it showed the frustration that he was feeling. And I don't even necessarily think it was frustration with just that game. He came to Hawthorne, big recruit, to play under Alistair Clarkson, and that idea is going to evaporate without any kind of success. No premierships, no nothing. He's going to be under a new coach and he might be thinking, gee, was it an enormous mistake by me to leave Port Adelaide? Because look how Port Adelaide are going. Um, so yeah, you can see that he's very frustrated with how everything was going. But you can't have that. You can't have him, you know ripping his teammates' ears off for a minute and a half and, you know, the camera taking it all in. Like, it's not a good look. There may be some, you know, discontent amongst the playing group, but there's a really, really good opportunity in this last four games to galvanise them, you know, look ahead to next year. What do we want to achieve Let's finish this year really strong. I don't know, but they don't want to... While I do think they'll finish bottom, you know, maybe maybe as a, as a playing group, they want to salvage something from this year. Maybe they can win two of their last four if end the year with a little bit of momentum, a bit of respectability. I don't know. But yeah, I just thought that Wingard thing was really not a very good look. Um, Adelaide are a little bit like... North Melbourne, they haven't been in as good a form as North Melbourne, but they're like North in that they're on the right track. They got a lot of really, really good young players 
Harry Schoenberg got the Rising Star nomination. He's one of their good young players. But they've also got all the, oh, excuse me, they've also got all these veterans that are playing really well. Smith and Laird and Walker, all, all going really, really well. So, you know, Adelaide, Matthew Nix has done quite well. They've sort of, they dropped off a bit in the second half of the year after starting pretty strongly. But um, give them another preseason, and a lot of these kids that they're playing will bulk up and improve their skills, and I could see them moving up the ladder a little bit next year. Alright, on to Sunday we had Sydney versus Fremantle. Oh dear, Fremantle are very, very lost at the moment. Aren't they? they are a team that has been smacked by injuries as much as any, including within this game. So they lose Fife and they lose Walters, and then they seem to lose all hope altogether because Sydney just ran right over the top of them pretty much as soon as those two guys went down. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to think that they're not, even though they are on the same number of points as Richmond and St Kilda and Essendon, there's... Fremont just don't look like they're going to be playing finals. They just don't look like it. They had that terrible, terrible loss to Geelong last week, and then they just allowed Sydney to, you know, out-muscle out them and really suffocate them in the end. Uh, and, and Fife's done for the year now as well. Without Fife, like, I don't know. I don't even know who their vice-captain is. I don't know who stands up in... Fife's absence, that would be Monday, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, like with Pendlebury, Fife being out for the rest of the year is a good opportunity for some of these really good young midfielders that they've got to stand up. You know, what's what's going to happen with Adam Chera? Is, is Chera going to be leaving at the end of the year? Is he coming back to Melbourne to go and play for an Essendon or a North Melbourne or a St Kilda? You know, you know maybe put him in the centre let him have a bit of fun, give him a bit of responsibility, see if you can convince him that, you know, this is a place he's going to want to stay and play because that their on-field performances the last couple of weeks where finals have been on the line, they've been super disappointing, Fremantle. So, you know, like other teams who really are no longer contending for the Premiership this year, what do you want out of this last month of football? What do you want to achieve? You know, what players do you want to get games into? What players do you need to figure out? Are they staying? Are they going? You know, whether they want to leave or stay, whether you want them to leave or stay, there's a lot of stuff that clubs can learn in four games of footy when there's nothing to lose. So be interesting to see how Frio go. Um... And obviously, congratulations, David Mundy, on his 350th game, playing on again next year, and why wouldn't he? He's playing very, very well. Um, Sydney, Sydney are red hot. David King today described them as the Dementors because they suck the soul out of you, and they absolutely do. Their pressure and their level of control and their ball movement is bloody superb that they are as red hot as Geelong and as the Bulldogs right now. Now it's a, it's a bit of a shame that so many people have talked them up as a premiership smoky because it means now that they probably won't win the premiership but 
they're, they're playing really, really well. I've got to say, though, I'm fucking disappointed that Franklin's been suspended for that elbow. I should say I'm disappointed he threw that elbow and got himself suspended because now it is very difficult for him to get to that 1,000 goals this year. Um, unless they go deep into September, which they may do, um, it will be difficult for him. So, you know, maybe maybe, maybe Travis Ald can, you know, look to his scheduling for round one next year, maybe put Sydney, like, at the MCG against a big Victorian team, get a lot of people there, who knows, put Sydney up against Hawthorne. Oh, there's the move. Oh, you're welcome, Travis. That's the move. Round one next year, Sydney versus Hawthorne at the MCG. Franklin sitting on, you know, 997 goals or something. Oh, I'm a genius. Anyway, really disappointed that he threw that elbow. He seemed like he was just in a bad mood, Franklin, which was, you know, just a bit odd. He doesn't usually play, you know, so cranky like that. It's a bit strange. Anyway, um... Heaney took the third of the three super marks. I didn't even talk about Cody Waitman's mark. That was a ripper. I think Waitman's and Heaney's were the two best. They're very, very similar. Like, you look at them, like, they look different in terms of, like, the run-up and the number of players around. But, like, mechanically, very, very similar marks. And they were both epic. I, I, I couldn't tell you which one I liked more. I think Heaney's looks better because it is just it's just him and Luke Ryan. There's no noise. Like, you know, aesthetically, that is the best to look at. But they were both fantastic marks. And Heaney played some kind of game. He kicked the four goals. You know, his, his ability to move into the middle, onto the wing, into the forward line, very flexible. It makes him really hard to plan against. They, they were talking about that during the coverage, and I was like, fuck, that's true. Because, you know, he is, you would call him a midfielder, but, you know, he's, he's one of those Petrarca, Bontempelli types who, not in, he doesn't necessarily kick goals from the midfield, but he moves forward, stays there for a bit, and kicks it back, kick four goals. So he'll be extremely important for them going into September, as important as any of their other players, including Tom Hickey. I'm not saying Heaney is more important than Tom Hickey. I would never say that, but what that was was a really bad segue in talking about how good Tom Hickey really is. Um, he's on track to be recruiter of the year. Nick Hyde would be up there, another ex-Singular player, but gee, Tom Hickey has somehow gone to another level, above another level. When he was at St Kilda, I always said... I always really liked him because he wasn't the best tap ruckman, but he got a lot of ball around the ground and he could hit the scoreboard. Now he's playing like another midfielder. He's getting heaps of possessions. He's now become a very good tap ruckman and he's hitting the scoreboard. And he's he's like 30, 31 years of age. Like he's in the twilight of his career and he's playing amazingly. It's really, really good to see. It makes me so happy to see him playing that well and of course another te- like as with some of the teams down the bottom end of the ladder Sydney have got some of the best youngsters going around you know Warner and Goulden all these guys you know Wicks and McInerney like the fact that they're playing the way that they're playing with so many 
players in their team having played, you know, 20 or 30 or less games, like, you've got to give Longmire a lot of credit for building such an effective game plan that includes your veterans like Kennedy and Franklin and players who have played 15 games. Like, and, and I think it's a really good way to build your team, have the youth in there to give the older guys a bit of a kick up the ass, give them a bit of energy. Gee, they're, they're going really bloody well, Sydney. All right, moving on to the game that I fucking butchered with my tipping. I tipped Richmond. I was like, oh, yeah, they've beaten Brisbane. The Nank is back. They're going to start winning games, Richmond. No, not at all. Geelong, for the second week in a row, have ruined my tipping. Um, they're, they're, they're making their charge now, Geelong. They are on a rampage. And I think if I had to pick a premiership favourite, it would be them. And the betting markets reflect that. Um, just because, you know, even without Cameron for the last few weeks, they have still been devastating. Their scoring, their, their ball movement. For an old team, they have got so much speed. Um, and because the setup of their forward line now, Hawkins isn't the, you know, it isn't a bottleneck into wherever the Tomahawk is standing. They're a little bit unpredictable. Asava Radicalia has bobbed up and kicked four goals in his 50th game. He's suddenly arrived. And now they need to figure out when Cameron does back, come back in, can they fit Hawkins, Cameron, Radicalia, and Stanley all in the one team, and Hawkins, and not Hawkins, and Rowan, who plays taller than he is, you know, like, it's a really, really good selection issue to have, I personally would be playing all of them, like, Stan, I don't think Radigalia is a number one ruckman, he seems to be much better as a key forward, but he'd be a very, very good second ruckman to Stanley, especially, like, you know, having a lot of height, in their back line has been an issue for them at times. So leave Blitzars down there at full back, right? Then you can have Stanley as your ruck and Radigalia as your second ruck. And when Radigalia goes in there to ruck, you're not sacrificing anything because you've still got Cameron and Hawkins down there in the forward line. They're a little bit, you know, frightening Geelong. This just might be their year. Ten years since they last won a flag in Chris Scott's first year as coach, and then still with Selwood and Hawkins there, they can bob up and win another. And But, yeah, as we know, September has been where they've had a lot of issues in the past, so can they get themselves to another big dance? We'll have to wait and see. Um... Unfortunately for Richmond, you know, they're pretty much done now with, with all the injuries they've had and, you know, everything else that hasn't quite gone their way this year. They're a bit of a shell of the team that won all those flags. This, this happens to all the great teams. It's just the way it goes. Their drop-off has been a little bit dramatic. They, they were hanging in there, staying in the eight for a lot of the first part of the year. Um, but now they've just completely fallen away. They're... Like, they're getting smashed a little bit too. Alex and Kilda smashed them. 
Uh, like it ended up only being six goals difference against Geelong, but they did kick the last two, so it's a little bit more flattering than perhaps it should have been, the scoreline. Um, yeah, but like no Martin for the rest of the year. Their backline's been destroyed. They've only just sort of been able to put their midfield back together. Um, it, they might be able to bounce back next year. Don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think they would just consider this year a write-off. They've got a pretty easy run home in the last month, so they might be able to sneak into the eight. But once they get in there, and they're going to be have to, they're going to have to deal with a Brisbane or a Port Adelaide or a West Coast, some one of those teams. Um, it's that it'll just be a bit too much. They're going to have to work too hard to get there to then maintain that through September. And they've got too many youngsters that they're being forced to play because of injury. Like they they can't put up the same quality of performances that we that we know them for. It's, you know, it's just the way it is. It's you can't really criticize them for it. It's just what happens. Teams. It's very 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 difficult to win even one premiership to be the best for one year but to be the best three out of four years and then continue to maintain that almost impossible so it's just the way it is you know that being said Richmond they do love to be put under a bit of pressure so maybe they can get into September and do a bit of damage but seems highly unlikely good to see Matty Parker getting a couple of games since being drafted in the middle of the year he's been playing in the midfield the last two weeks, which I thought was interesting. Um, he is, he plays, well, when, he, when he is playing forward, he plays like a small forward, bit of a goal sneak, but he's over 190 centimetres, like he's a big boy. And I find it really interesting that they put it, he's sort of been playing on the wing a little bit, um, which is a pretty inspired decision, if you ask me. Like his athleticism, his size, his speed, um, I, I thought he's been playing really well. So, you know, good on him for, you know, after St Kilda delisted him, he's moved back to Perth, where he's from, and then six months later, he's been redrafted again by a Melbourne team. So I had to travel back with a young family. Like, props to him, because he's, he's not giving up on his dream, and, you know, maybe this midfield role will work really well for him. You know, maybe he can step right in and replace, you know, and Edwards, who's getting a bit older, a Cochin is getting a bit older. I don't know, but yeah, just something I wanted to give a bit of attention to. All right, the last game of the round was Essendon versus GWS. This was not a bad game either. So Essendon controlled this game quite a lot early, and then GWS fought their way back. Essendon only kicked one goal in the second half, and GWS ran over the top of them. Essendon have been a little bit unreliable. When they've been good, they've been so good this year, but They've just shown their immaturity a little bit one too many times for me, I thought. Um, they are still on the right track. A lot of really, really solid youth that they've got down there at Essendon. Um, I, I can't see them sneaking into the eight. I, I just I don't trust them enough. I think, you know, with a performance like this, they're going to be just a little bit, they're just a bit too fresh. So I think, I think GWS will be the team that holds on to 8th spot. Uh, I, I think they're, like all those teams, St Kilda, Essendon, Richmond, and Fremantle, all very unreliable at the moment. GWS, while they have you know lost games they should have won and drawn games they should have won, they've been a little bit more consistent against the 
medium to high teams. So I think it will be them that, that hangs on to it, which is, you know, good on them, given how their, how their year starts. Just back onto Essendon quickly, you know, moving forward, what is it that they need? I think their core is very much set, you know, Stringer re-signed, Parrish re-signed, Merritt re-signed. You know, their, their midfield's in really, really good shape. They're, they've, they've got a lot of young talent sort of playing up on the wing and playing in the forward line. I think they need another really tall target, perhaps to even be a second ruck. Peter Wright has had a really good year, um, but I think... You know, he's sort of the, unless like Cox or one of the other sort of tallish or hookers been down there, Wright has been doing a lot of the key forward work by himself. Rory Lobb is a player who's, you know, seems likely to leave his club and come back to the eastern side of the country. He's the sort of player who they could really use, I think. An obvious choice as second ruckman will help Draper improve a little bit with some really good support. And... You know, Rory Lobb can be extremely damaging as a full forward or a centre-half forward. 207 centimetres. Um, good luck outmarking him. I think he would be a really good fit at Essendon. But apart from that, they don't need to change a whole lot. They've built a really, really good list. It's very young. Now let it develop, you know. Made really good recruitment decisions in you know, hind players like that, right, like I mentioned, and then drafted all these really, really good young players. Let them just develop a little bit. Um, yeah, the Giants are really good. Good to see Mumford still having an enormous impact. I love his whole story. I love it so much. Um, they, they have to make finals now. They have to. They've got themselves in there as Fremantle and Richmond have done in the last couple of weeks. They cannot then blow it. I don't know who they have this week, but they absolutely have to win. They have to hold on to 8th spot. Otherwise they're going to become a joke like the rest of us. <laughs> Alright, that will do for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope wherever you are, you're doing okay. I hope you're not in lockdown wherever you are. Melbourne seems like we're about to come out tomorrow night, maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Um, remember to Subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram at timespent underscore podcast. Um, like and comment and leave reviews, all that stuff. Tell your friends. You know, if you want to talk to me on Instagram, send me a message, whatever, all that stuff. I'll always answer comments or answer messages, all that stuff. And I will catch you next time. Bye.